Hey, good morning. Uh, I'm, I'm the type of person that, that loves um, true stories that someone or a team that has overcome huge odds uh, to, to, to win maybe a, a sporting event or to overcome huge odds in their, in their lives that just seem impossible to overcome. I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for those, those type of stories and those movies that, that are, are true, and, and I love to, to, to watch them or read about them. Um, a couple of my uh, favorite stories, um, I'm going to share them with you because it ties into what we're talking about today. Um, if you've ever caught the movie Hoosiers, this is a, a story, a true story about a, a small Indiana school in the 50s. Uh, there was only uh, 161 kids in the whole school and barely enough to assemble a basketball team. And uh, this team came together to overcome huge odds to win the Indiana State Basketball Championship in 1954. And they, they, they did a movie on it called uh, The Hoosiers. Um, how many remember Doug Flutie? How many ever had Flutie Flakes? Right, remember that? Uh, Doug Flutie, if you don't know who he is, he was a quarterback, and, and the thing about Doug Flutie that is so interesting to me, I saw a documentary about him uh, the other day called The Football Life that the NFL Channel has on. It was very interesting to me uh, to watch this uh, because Doug Flutie has close ties with Western New York because he actually was the Buffalo Bills quarterback for a while. And by the way, that was the last time Buffalo was in the playoffs. 14 years ago, and it was Doug Flutie who got them there, and then they didn't play him in the playoffs. Shame on Buffalo. Can I get an amen? Are we hurting? Are we depressed, Buffalo fans? Okay, so the thing about Doug Flutie is that he was only five foot nine. In fact, when Doug Flutie played, when he would make a pass play, he would have to jump up in the air to look over the linesman's head to see if he even made the, the, the receiver even made the catch. And Doug Flutie was always the last person uh, to be picked. When even He was such a good quarterback in high school, he got picked to go to a D1 school, Boston College, to play uh, football and, 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 and to play quarterback. And he was the last one on the depth chart. And finally, after injuries or other quarterbacks weren't, weren't doing well, he got to play and absolutely turned that team around. And if you ever saw the immaculate conception that he made against Miami, it was the most amazing throw. I saw it when I was a teenager. It was incredible, this throw he made to win the game at the end of the game. And this is just Doug Flutie's life. And eventually he was good enough to even make it into uh, the NFL. It overcame huge odds uh, to do this. And what we're, what we're going through in our series here is we're, we're, we're taking on this huge task of going through the whole Bible and looking at the major stories of the Bible and to see how they fit in with the story of the Bible of God's redeeming plan. And where we are today has everything to do with overcoming huge odds as we look at this story, as you saw in the video, David and Goliath. And what I love about going through the whole Bible, which I, I'm hoping this is helping you, is that you're getting a better understanding of the Old Testament and how it fits into the whole story of the Bible, that each one of these stories are not stories uh, uh, individually of themselves, but actually they're, they're pieces of a puzzle that fit into the larger puzzle of God redeeming mankind through his son Jesus. And what we're going to see today is that very thing in the story 
of David and Goliath. It's not just a story of this, this, this teenager, this young guy overcoming huge odds to defeat this giant. There's a bigger story here that I want you to see. And we're going we're gonna to jump into that. So where we are in the history of Israel is this. We've understand that, that, that God took Israel out of Egypt's bondage for over 430 years, brought them into the promised land through the leadership of Joshua. And then eventually when that generation died off, Israel became very lackadaisical spiritually. Um, they were very apathetic to the things of God, to the point to where they said, uh, listen, um, we're weak and ineffective. And they understood that because they weren't depending on God. God wanted to be their ruler. God wanted to be their king. God would have defeated the enemy before them. And he did in the past over and over again. But they seemed to forget that to the point where the nation of Israel now becomes weak and ineffective. So they thought, well, we know what will help us because we look at the nations around us and they all have kings. So we want a king to rule us. And what we discovered last week is that God raised up a prophet in Samuel and God said, I want you to go anoint a king. I'm going to give in to the wishes of these people, but, but warn them that, that a king's going to rule over them. He's going to take their land. He's going to make their, 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 the men go to war for them. It's not going to be what they think. And when he gave them a reality of what a king would do, Israel still said, yeah, we still want a king. And so they did. They got a king. And so what happens is Samuel anoints Saul, and Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And he does, he does a good job militarily. He, he does defeat the enemies around them. But the problem with Saul is that he was a good military leader, but he was a poor spiritual leader. And what God was looking for was not necessarily a great military leader because Saul was a head taller than everybody else. And they just looked at the outward appearance. Well, this is what we need. We just need this guy that's going to be strong. It's going to be a good military leader that's tall that will lead us. That's all they looked at. They didn't look at the heart. And what God was concerned with is not about their military prowess. God was concerned with the heart. Are they going to follow me? Is he going to obey me? Is he going to listen to me? And what happened with Saul is he didn't. And God took his hand off of Saul. God took his spirit away from Saul until Saul became very vengeful towards David, as you saw in the video. And so God turned his attentions away from Saul and he turned his attention towards David. And what we see in these two men between Saul and David is night and day. One who, who thought he was following God, one who thought he was good before the Lord, but actually didn't completely obey the Lord and Saul. And then you're going to see a man who is a man after God's own heart, who was chasing God way before God ever anointed him as king. God saw something in David's heart in his life that he wanted to pursue the Lord. Now, now, we, we, as we look at Israel's history, we would say that David was, was Israel's best king by far. But how many know that David was not a perfect king? How many know David made a ton of mistakes? And that's what we're going to talk about next week. David was not perfect. And by the grace of God, we see God restoring David and still using David. The story of David gives hope to every single one of us who feel like they failed or they've never measured up or maybe they've gone too far to say, how can God ever use me? This is a, a story of, of grace. So we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly in, in David. And today we're going to kind of look at the good part 
of what he did at the beginning of his reign and and rule and as he followed God. And then next week, we're going to kind of look at the the sad part of of, of David's life and the mistakes that he made. And and that even through all those mistakes in the New Testament, looking back, they, they still call David a man after God's own heart and how God can still restore us and, and use it. So this is a story of grace. So the, the Bible tells us that, that God tells Samuel to, to, to visit Jesse, who had all these sons. And he says, I want you to, 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 to Samuel, I want you to go and, and, and I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons. They're the next king. So Samuel goes and, and what happens is he sees his first son and he says, this is the one. He's, he's well built. He's a really good football player. This is the one that is going to be anointed the next king. Now, Samuel, the prophet, was doing the same thing. He was looking at what? The outward physical appearance. How many of us, listen to me closely, how many of you, when you look at your situation or your trial, you're just like me, that we end up looking at it with physical eyes? That, that we look at, at, at our problems and our trials and we look at it through the flesh and we think, this is too big for me to handle. This is so big. How are we going to handle this? And what we end up doing is we end up turning to the flesh to try to solve our problems that only a spiritual thing can fix. And that's the problem in our world today. We're trying to fix all our problems with physical eyes. We're trying to fix all the problems in the world. Well, if we just had better government or more education or this or that, that will fix all our problems. But the problem with man is not these things. The problem with man, it all boils down to a spiritual problem. And unless we fix that spiritual problem, we're going to have the same problems over and over and over again. Can I get an amen? So what we see here is, we don't see necessarily this, the, the problem of, of, of maybe finding a, a, a good, well-built man to lead Israel. That's not the problem. The problem is finding someone who is spiritual. Finding someone who will lead God's people spiritually. That's the problem. And so Samuel, he looks with physical eyes again and says, okay, let's look at the first son. So then he just, Jesse goes, well, what about this one? What about this one? And God says, no, 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 no. Is there any others? And finally, we get down to David. So this is where I want to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You got your Bibles or look up at the screen. Let's look at this. 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 13. And we're going to look exactly uh, the choice here and what God desired in a leader. So let's look at what it says here, starting with verse 6. It says, and when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So there's the first one. This has got to be it, Samuel thought. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen to his words. Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abimadad and made him pass before Saul. And then he said, neither has the Lord chosen him. Then Jesse said, uh, Shema, and passed before him. And he said, no, this isn't the one either. And so he's passing all these sons before him. And none of them are going to pass the test. Verse 10, and then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, is this it? And he said, well, there, there remains yet the youngest and behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, 
for we will not sit down till he comes here. And then they sent and they brought him in. And now they explain David. David comes in and he was ruddy, which means it's the word reddish. We don't, maybe reddish complexion. Maybe David had red hair. We're not real sure, but he was ruddy, this reddish complexion. And he was, he had beautiful eyes and, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now, the anointing is very important here because the anointing represented that God's presence was upon him, that God was separating David for his service. So when you look at the temple of God or the priestly service, they were all anointed. All the furniture that was in the temple area was anointed by God because God said, this is consecrated unto me for my service. The anointing was very, very important because it was a symbolic gesture that God's presence was here. God's presence was upon him. Now, when they anointed him, it wasn't a little dab of oil. From the very top of his head down, he anointed him and said, this is my servant. This is, this is the one that, that I will put my presence in, that I will put my Holy Spirit upon, that's going to be used for my service. And a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is anointed by Jesus Christ to do his service. You are separated unto God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do God's work. Never forget that, that you have an anointing that's from God, that separates you, that consecrates you for God's work in this world. Amen? I want that anointing. Amen? I want to be separated unto God. And look what happens after he's anointed. Look what happens. This is really good. Right after he's anointed, it says, and then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so here we see, now you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Um, Saul is, is still leading. He is. And that's where we're going to see the conflict. We're going to see that conflict next week between Saul and David, because David is the anointed one. The spirit of God is off Saul. And so within Saul becomes this very jealous and envious spirit that he begins to pursue David and wants to kill David. And many of the Psalms that you read in the book of Psalms comes from this very heartbeat of David when he's being pursued by Saul. And so we see David's heartbeat in many of the Psalms because of Saul's pursuit of him and wanting to kill him. So what what God does here is surprises everyone. It surprises everyone by choosing David. He, he, he looks at David and we would think, you know, okay, God chooses him, but look at all the disadvantages that David had. He was the youngest of all the brothers. He was the baby of the family. Physically, he was small. He was young. He was a boy. He was kind of forgotten by his father. And, 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 and one more thing, he was in the fields. He was just kind of overlooked. I mean, his father, Jesse, didn't even think about him. Didn't even bother bringing him in the fields. Just, he just overlooked him and thought there's no way that God could ever use this boy. How could God use him? And God says, I can use him because I'm going to put my spirit upon him and I'm going to anoint him and he will do great things in my name. And he was a shepherd, which was one of the most menial jobs. See, God saw something deeper. He peered into the very heart of David. And David had a, had a passion for God. And, and God was not necessarily looking for the looks, but he was looking for the obedience. 
And, and I want to remind you that, that our actions and what we do on the outside is a direct result from what's coming forth from our hearts. The, the way we, you know, from, from, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we do say something or we do something, it's a reflection of our heart and what we're pursuing and, and what we desire. And if our heart is focused on one thing and that's what we're doing, it's going to be reflected in the way we live our lives. And the way David lived his life was a reflection of what was going on in his heart at that time. And God saw him. God saw him in those fields. God saw him maybe playing his instrument before the Lord and worshiping him. God saw those things. And David understood this as he wrote his response after he was confronted with his adultery with Bathsheba. When David sinned, David did some of the most outrageous sins that we could think of. And we're going to talk about that next week. And, and after David committed adultery with, with another man's wife, um, his response in Psalms 51 is incredible because David understood it was a matter of the heart. It wasn't just the sin he committed, which was wrong before the Lord, but it was actually a matter of his heart. Where his heart was at the time was not close to God, and he allowed his heart to be driven away from the Lord, his God, to this, the, 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 this sin that he knew was wrong. And, and, and Psalm 51.10 says it this way. David says to God, after he's confronted, after the prophet Nathan says, you're the one that's committed this sin, you need to confess this. And what's interesting, he says this. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me, what? A clean heart. David knew there was an issue with his heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, we're so concerned with what jobs we're going to get or what we're going to do or what kind of house we're going to live in. We, and all those things we should be concerned with, and, and they're fine. But God is more concerned with your heart. What are you chasing after? What are, the, what, what are the things that you really are passionate for? And God says, you've got to guard your heart above all things. You see, the scriptures speak of the heart. When they speak of the heart, they refer to the person's inward spiritual and moral character. See, God is concerned with how you do something. Is it done right? Is it done with integrity? Um, the heart that, that wants to truly please God is a heart that God can grasp, that God can mold, that God can use for his purposes. David was known as a man after God's own own heart, even with all his mess ups, even with all the mistakes that he made, even though the latter part of his life became a train wreck, wasn't the greatest dad in all, all the world, made a lot of mistakes, but still he knew that he was wrong and he would go before the Lord, even though he had to live with many of the consequences that he made in his life, he was still known for a man after God's own heart. See, David knew that his heart had to be right before the Lord. And so as David goes and, he, and, and, and he's anointed uh, uh, the king over Israel now. He's anointed. God has separated him. David is going to face right off the bat one of his biggest battles. And, and this is where the story gets interesting because Jesse tells David, hey, I want you to go to the front lines because Israel is up against 
the Philistines, and I want you to bring some food to your brothers. So David says, okay, so he goes. And this is where David sees Goliath. This, this is where David sees the Philistines intimidating the Israelites and no one doing anything. Now, when you hear the word, whether you know anything about the story of David and Goliath, the word Goliath just sounds big, doesn't it? Whenever you say something's Goliath, you, you, you know that's big. That's where when you hear someone use that term, it comes back to this story here. And when you hear the word Goliath, it just sounds big. So what's happening here? Well, the Philistines gather their armies for battle. And, it's, and the picture is this. The Philistines are on one side of the mountain and the Israelites are on the other. And what happens is when these armies got together, what usually they did was the armies would gather and first they would do a lot of trash talking. They tried to kind of position themselves and they would, they would try to intimidate the other side. They would say things like, your mama's so ugly, my goat looks better than her. They'd say things like that, right? I mean, that, I'm thinking that's what they did back in the Old Testament times. You know, they, they would just, you know, they would, they would, they would trash talk. And, and the Philistines could back up their trash talking because they got Goliath. And, and he is the one that's doing all the trash talking. There's no one like him. And so the Philistines, they're all standing behind Goliath saying, oh, yeah. Your mom is ugly too. And they'd run behind Goliath, you know. They, they knew that they had their ace in the hole. They, they had Goliath. And, and so the Bible tells us that he stood six cubits and a span. Okay, so how big was actually Goliath? Now, a cubic is basically, the, it's the bottom of your elbow to the top of your fingers. And a span would be uh, from the bottom of, of your hand to the top of of your thumb. And so basically he stood over nine feet, nine inches tall. He was a gargantuan. He was a big boy. His head would almost hit, just his head would almost hit the top of a basketball rim. He would not even have to jump to dunk a basketball. He would be the highest recruited basketball player ever. He wouldn't have to do anything. You just have to pass the ball to him and he would basically just drop the ball in the basket. It wouldn't even be fair if he was on somebody's team. This, basically, I want you to get the, the image here that to defeat this foe was impossible if you look at it with physical eyes. That's why they were standing there for 40 days trash talking. Because no one wanted to step out and fight against this nine foot, nine inch tall mammoth of a giant no one wanted to mess with him and so what happens the bible says that he was wearing a coat of mail that that weighed five thousand shekels that would be about 125 pounds of just armor they said the tip of his spear weighed between 15 and 20 pounds 15 to 20 pounds the arrowhead weighed 15 to 20 pounds itself Goliath is willing to go one-on-one -on -one with anyone who dares fight him. He is confident in himself. He is bigger than everybody else. He's stronger than everybody else. And, and he's not afraid to tell everybody that he is Goliath, that he is the man, that he is the warrior, and I dare anyone to come up against me. And there is no one in Israel that's willing to go up against Goliath. So, so here they are, they're terrified of Goliath, and it goes on for 40 days, trash talking for 40 days, until David comes. 
And David finds out. And David is told by his father to go take some food. So he does. And then David hears the challenge of this huge warrior Goliath. And what David does is David accepts the challenge. Are you crazy? His brothers think he's crazy. Everybody thinks he's crazy. I said, why is anybody going against this, this big oaf? Why is everybody going against him? What's everybody afraid of? And so they said, okay, David, if you want to go out there. So they do. They're going to send little David out there, the shepherd boy who was playing tiddlywinks just 10 minutes ago. He's going to go out there and go fight this, this giant. So what they do is they try to put armor on David, which just isn't working. The armor's heavier than David. So he can't even wear that. And so it did not fit. I mean, basically, it's like going to a gunfight with a knife, with a butter knife. So it's like David's going out to fight Goliath with a butter knife. And David sees this. And so David, all he has is his staff, which is really not a true weapon, and five smooth stones and a sling. And he's going to go try and fight Goliath. So let me read you the story here in 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start with verse 41, and let's see what it says here. here. Here's the battle scene. Here's what happens. Are you ready? And it says, And then the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield bearer, bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine, listen to what he says here. Woo, you don't say this. This was the wrong thing that Goliath said. This was bad. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, by his god Dagon or Asterisk. So he cursed him. He said, oh, my, whatever he said, my gods are better, blah, blah, blah. You're nothing. My gods are better. Oh, that wasn't good. And so the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the bird's of the air into the beast of the field. So here's, here's trash talking big time. He, can, he thinks he can back it up. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, who did Goliath ultimately defy or defile? The God of Israel. See, David understood something. It wasn't, David wasn't offended. David said, you offended my God. He says, and this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the bird of the air and to the wild beast of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Woo! Do you think David's full of the Holy Spirit there? I think he is. He's fired up. And then he says, And all this the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord. Let's say that together. The battle is the Lord's. And I will give you, and, and he will give you into our hands. And he will give you into our hands. So David steps up with his little slingshot, five stones, takes a stone out. And lets it go. 
And Goliath is probably thinking, really? It's going to hit my 125 pounds of armor. It's going to go dink. And I think, I always heard one pastor say this, and I think it's so true. I think, I don't know which way that stone was going. I don't know if Dave was really good with the stone, maybe not. But I heard one pastor say this, and I thought it was great. I think God took that stone and directed it right into Goliath's forehead. The only place where it could kill him. And that one stone sunk deep, the Bible says, into his forehead and dropped Goliath like a bad habit. Dropped him like a bag of dirt on the ground. David took his sword, cut off his head, and all the Philistines were like, uh-oh, rut row, and they were gone. And Israel defeated the Philistines. Now, the question is this. Here's where we're going to wrap this all up. Is this just a cool story of an underdog defeating a giant? Is it, is, it, is it just about a shepherd boy taking down a giant? I want you to realize this is much more of a story than just that. Because at the heart of this story, we see the heart of God and how God works. And how God works through our lives. You see, I want you to understand that God chooses the lowly things to show his power. God didn't pick the biggest, baddest dude to take down Goliath. Because then man would get the glory. So what's the story behind the story? How do we connect this story? Because what happens? We tell our kids, oh, David defeated God. They're like, yeah, David and God. Let me dress up like, you know, David and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is that it? We've got to understand that that this story cannot be read within its own stories because then, then it just becomes a story about somebody that God used to defeat Goliath. This story is all about our biggest enemy in our lives. And the biggest enemy in our lives is sin. And we can't overcome it in our own strength. We can't overcome it through our goodness. The Bible says we've all fallen short of God's perfection. Goliath was an impossible foe just like sin. And so how is sin defeated in our lives? Just like God chose a meek shepherd boy with no military experience and with no real weapons... God won the battle for him. David went to this battle. Israel thought that, well, we'll put the armor on him. But the armor didn't fit. Because the armor was the thing that's not going to win the battle. Because David understood this is a spiritual battle that needs to be defeated And the flesh will not win this battle. So God chose the meekness and humility of David to work through him in his power to say, I will defeat the biggest enemies. And that enemy is sin. God chose the meekness and humility of his one and only son to choose the way of the the cross to defeat the biggest enemy in our life. Goliath mocked David with his God's And David won the battle with his God. I want you to understand something here. The sin in your life and the things you battle with cannot be won in the physical. They can't. The trials in your life cannot be won by looking through or working through the flesh. You see, the cross seems so weak to everyone. It seems powerless 
And the cross seemed like a defeat to so many people, yet God used the shame and the humility of the cross to win the battle of sin. Satan is disarmed and defeated through the work of the cross. And so whatever trial you're facing today, whatever habitual thing you're facing today, it can only be won through the cross, ultimately. Whatever you're struggling with today, whatever you're battling with today, at the root of it, it's a spiritual issue, and it can only be won through spiritual things. I love what the Apostle Paul says about the message of the cross. People, we've got to get this. Listen to the message of the cross. This is the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, let me finish with this first because it's so powerful. Here's what Paul says. The message of the cross, right? David coming against Goliath looked completely foolish to every person standing there. And everyone, I guarantee, thought David is going to get smeared. Goliath just has to step on him and the the battle's over. The same with the cross. The the mess of the cross seems foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'm going to destroy Goliath and his wisdom. And discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw, saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Isn't that amazing? It is foolishness to the Jews who ask for a sign from heaven and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jew and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and, and God's weakest is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things of this world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless or weak to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, at all or lowly and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be the wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. David boasted about his Lord, not his strength, not his power, because he had none. But he boasted about the Lord and God defeated the enemy, Goliath, which is symbolic of sin and our life. See, if you want to overcome the enemy in your life, it can only come through humility. It can only come by recognizing, God, I can't do it without your strength. You can't come to Christ standing up. You have to come bowed down. There has to be humility. 
See, he's not looking for your greatness or even your ability. He's looking for your humility. Let his power save you. See, the question is, what are we faced with today? What, what, what are we struggling with today? What thing are you fighting in your own strength? What, what are you bringing to the battle? Are you bringing your worry? Um, are, are you bringing your flesh? Are you bringing um, human wisdom to the battle, which is frustrating you? God says none of those things will win that battle. And some of you are battling today because you're coming to the battle with the wrong things. You see, if you're not coming to the battle in prayer and saying, God, you've got to take control of this. You've got to to win this battle. You know, I really appreciated this, that we went to visit a college a couple weeks ago for my son, Colby, who's graduating this year. And I remember after our little tour that we took, um, the tour guide, um, he was telling me his, his, um, how he got saved just three years before that. Brand new Christian. God called him. And it was really cool. It was just a really nice guy. And at the end of our tour, I just thought, okay, it, it's, it's over. And, you know, me, I'm thinking of, okay, the cost and how far it is away from here. And is the food any good? And I'm saying, okay, I'm going to make my choice. If your pizza's good, he's going. Okay. So, you know, I'm, make, I'm thinking of all these, you know. And all of a sudden he's, he stopped and he goes, can I pray with you? Because I know this is a big decision. And I said, that would be a good idea. Because I'm thinking, I'm just thinking of all the practical things, right? How hard is this class? You know, I think about all these things. And God, who used this college student, who's only been a Christian for three years, to speak to my heart and say, Barden, you've got to pray about this. This is the thing that you've got to lay before my feet. Because I am so too practical for my own good. And I tend to forget about the spiritual, that God, I've got to bring you into the midst of this whole thing. Can I get an amen? Are you, I'm just, I'm just being vulnerable with you. Bad pastor, bad pastor, right? And so as this, as this young Christian gentleman prayed with us, I just felt the presence of God come into that situation and just say, Barden, got this under control. Just trust me. Just trust me. And for some of you here today, I don't know what you're faced with. I don't know what you're battling with, but you're, you're bringing the wrong thing to the battle. And the only thing that's over, going to overcome this is by becoming spiritual minded. Some of you here today, let me, I, I don't mean to get on you or I don't mean to because we're, you know, we all make mistakes. But some of you here today, you just really, I, I want you to really make the things in your life a matter of prayer. That men, you're praying with your wives. You're praying with your kids. That you're praying about your situations. That you're bringing the spiritual element to that battle. God has to be the one in the forefront, not us. And what David did was he brought God to the forefront. It's interesting, for 40 days, no one in Israel did that. See, the keys to the battle weren't hard. But listen to me closely. Israel was too caught up in seeing Goliath and not looking up 
and seeing that their God was the God of all creation. That their God was more powerful than anything on this world could ever throw at you. Are you hearing me? And some of you, you're looking at your situation. You're just seeing this big, I can't do it, I can't do it. Because you're looking with wrong eyes. God says, I've already defeated it on the cross. Will you just come to me? Will you lay that at, your, at my feet? And so what we're going to do is we close in prayer today. I'm going to open up the altars this morning. And some of you, you just got to lay something down here. At the, nothing that is dead crawls back off the altar. You got to lay that thing down and die to it and say, God, I'm going to lay this thing down. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever, you've got to bring that to the Lord and say, God, I I need to bring you into this situation. Whatever, whatever your situation is, whatever you're battling with, maybe it's giving your life to Christ. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a situation you're, you're faced with and you're saying, I've got to lay this thing down at your feet. I'm going to invite you as, as the worship team leads us and leads us in, in, in a wonderful worship song. I'm going to invite you to come and fight the battle the right way and give it to the Lord. Let him fight it, whatever it may be. Let him fight it for you. What did God say? The battle is mine. It's already won. But you got to lay it down before me. you got to let me work through you in order for this to come to completion. So Lord Jesus, we bow our hearts before you now. Lord, we ask that you would come into our situation. That whatever the battle is, whatever we're struggling with, we would lay this at your feet, Lord. We need you. Lord, I know sometimes we look at our trials, we look at our things, and they just seem so enormous and so hard to overcome. God says, I've already won the battle. You just got to come to me and trust me. And I'm going to see you through. But you got to humble yourself. You've got to be willing to admit that you can't do it in your own strength. Let me take control. Let me do it for you that you can't do for yourself. Let me be your strength. Let me be your shield. Let me be your sword. I've already defeated the enemy. Now just come to me. Just come to me and find your strength. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love. We just give our hearts to you now. Give our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to stand. And if that's you and you just want to come and just pray as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to come and just lay whatever it is before the Lord. Let's fight this in the right way. Amen. God bless you as you worship the Lord. Amen.